welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. This podcast is an all-in-one devotional, essential for anyone trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in today's world. Each month, we'll release four different episodes, including stories from the field, preaching, and conversations with special guests. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Open Doors Live podcast. It is Mike Gore here in the Heels Podcasting Studio with Joss Gordo. Hey, how are you? It's good to be here. I think it's important that we let you guys know now, this is actually the last of our weekly podcasts. We've been doing them weekly for the last couple of months throughout COVID, and we are going back to monthly after this. That's right, Joss. We originally moved this podcast to weekly back in March. Well, it was at the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic when churches were being shut down and people were really finding themselves, I guess, isolated, working from home and unable to gather with their congregations. But now, Joss, I think we're noticing a real case of digital fatigue. I mean, I know myself um, watching or listening to less podcasts and content online. And so yeah. we wanted to make sure that we were adjusting what we're doing rather than just putting out content for the sake of putting out content. So my hope is that as always, as we go back to that monthly kind of routine, there'll still be that all-in-one devotional that helps you feel uh, full of faith and encouraged yeah. to keep following Jesus and and more aware of the persecuted church and the cost of faith for people all over the world, but not every week. So it's really interesting, Joss. I think that the digital fatigue in our communities right now is just making us all feel tired. Yeah, I agree. And that's what today's episode's about. I mean, at Open Doors, we often say to our team in times of stress or pressure to number one, we need to name the emotion to articulate and express just how we're feeling. And I think if you and I were to stop for a moment now and anyone listening and name the emotion we're feeling. It'll probably be things like frustration, sadness, grief, exhaustion. And I know that when it comes to considering the different buckets in my life that we talked about just on one of the other episodes, the emotional, the physical, the creativity, the spiritual, I know probably one of the most empty buckets in my life at the moment is the emotional bucket. I'm just tired. I'm, I'm run down emotionally and I'm guessing people listening today are feeling the same way. And so today we want to commit an episode to looking at weariness and fatigue. Joss, I know you've really been learning a lot lately about ways we can relate to and view our weariness through a biblical lens. That's right, Mike. A couple of weeks ago, I was kind of reflecting on this theme of weariness and I came across this article from a pastor named Dave Dunham, who is an associate pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church in the US. And he wrote this article, you know, a couple of years ago, but I thought we could start today's episode um, just by sharing some of that article. You know, I found it really encouraging and I hope it encourages you and speaks to you in this season. So it says, if you've been in ministry for more than five minutes, you know how wearisome it can be. We face the daunting daily task of helping people wrestle through crisis in a way that continues to honour God, even as we ourselves wrestle through crisis. Pastoral care can at times be exhausting. Counselling cases can fall apart. Church members can pass away and key leaders can abandon the church. Some days I go into the office just plain tired. Tired of the late nights and the early mornings. Tired of phone calls and text messages. Tired of loss and heartbreak. Tired of being tired. But I'm convinced that for all Christians, there is real value in a tired soul. I can imagine how that sounds. After all, a tired soul sounds like a soul on the verge of giving up. Such a soul hardly seems valuable. Truth is, so many of us have been baptized into the American culture of safety and comfort that the thought of sorrow and weariness having value seems absurd. Only that which feels good is actually good, we tell ourselves. 
tired soul can, however, have real value if we are willing to reflect on it and not simply run from it. Think for a moment about what a tired soul is saying. It's saying no more. It's looking for a way of escape. It's looking for the nearest exit from pain and difficulties. It's a plea for rescue. A tired soul reminds us that we need to be rescued. Without a tired soul, I think we would forget. I think we would become content and complacent in this world and in our own lives. But the scriptures say this is not our home in Hebrews 13 verse 14, and that this broken world needs restoring, Romans 8, 18 to 23. Without a tired soul, I am prone to ignore the, these realities and live in my own little bubble. Think too of what a tired soul allows you to say to others. Death makes people awkward. Well-intentioned people, thinking that they must say something, end up saying unhelpful things. Like the lady who, shaking my hand at the receiving line of my grandfather's funeral, pointed at me and said to her husband, his dad's dead too. It was an innocent statement, but it was a dumb statement. And of course, suffering brings out the host of cliches like no other event. They are a legion at funerals. All things work together for good. There is a reason for everything. Death has lost its sting. Time heals all wounds. Don't get me wrong, I really do believe in the sovereignty of God over all events. I also believe in tact and sensitivity. A tired soul knows the difference. A tired soul allows us to sympathise with one another, cry with one another. A tired soul understands another person's hurt and pain and doesn't question the enduring sorrow. A tired soul never expects someone to just get over loss. It never assumes that someone's theology is bad because he grieves and aches. A tired soul is tired for a reason, because it has been through heartbreak too. It understands. Think about how we can share our heartbreaks. That may seem like a strange value, but a tired soul learns to appreciate the shared aches that we experience. A deep bond connects people who share suffering and sorrow. The band Sleeping At Last sings, remember who we are, unconditionally loved by those who share our broken hearts. I recall with surprising joy the tears my wife and I shed as we waited for our two-year-old to go into spinal surgery. It's the same way I feel when I remember clutching my kid brother in the back of a van after learning of our father's death. These scenes and countless others break my heart afresh each time I dwell on them. Yet, with each one, I think of the deep love I feel for those who have shared my broken heart. I am tired, tired of so much. There are days where I just want to give up and crawl back into bed. People in our church die or abandon the faith, and I'm tired. A friend succumbs to a meth addiction. Another is diagnosed with a brain tumour. A family member dies. I am tired. But of course, thinking about all of this reminds me of others. It reminds me of what my family has endured. It reminds me of the people in my church and the losses that they have suffered. I am not the only one tired. I see it on the faces of people I counsel, the people I pray with, the people I kiss in the morning before I leave for work. And so I get out of bed every morning. The floor is cold and I am tired. I can't give up. It's not because they need me. At least, not in the sense that I am a pastor and have all the answers. The need is much more mutual. We need each other. Paul tells the church in Rome, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep in Romans 12, 15. I suspect that in much of the church, we aren't good at following this command. At least I'm not. But my tired soul is helping me to change. There is some value in a tired soul if we are willing to look for it.
Mike, I just love that article and I wanted to take the time today to pull three things that we can learn from this season of weariness, from this weird time that we're all experiencing. And I do truly believe that there are lessons that the persecuted church are teaching us and can be teaching us in this time on what it means to endure hardship. And those three things are, one, a weary soul is focused on eternity. Yeah. The second, a weary soul develops empathy and builds up others. Mm-hmm. And a weary soul is strengthened for the storms ahead. I really like that perspective of a weary soul being a soul that's focused on eternity. I I don't think I've ever looked at tiredness or fatigue like that. Yeah. It's this kind of reminder that, well, life, it's not all there is. And more than that, I'm actually waiting on a day where I'll be done with this life, which we see when we look at the two scriptures mentioned in the article. Well, Hebrews 13 and verse 14, it says, For here we have no lasting city, but... We seek the city that is to come. Or in Romans 8 and verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. It makes me think about our persecuted brothers and sisters who endure day after day abuse, harassment and discrimination for their faith in Jesus, but they still retain this eternal hope in the future to come. It's a really beautiful and powerful thing. Yeah. We talk a lot about what that looks like in India, for example, which is the 10th hardest place to be a Christian. And we're only seeing persecution increase in India in both frequency and intensity. A leader of a Hindu extremist group has even declared that they will rid India of Christianity by 2021. A few years ago in 2017, we heard the story of a church leader named Marcy who was shot dead in northwestern India after receiving multiple threats that if he continued to preach, he would be killed. Marcy was on the phone standing outside the church when he was shot. He had been the pastor of his church for 20 years. 20 years of living in one of the hardest countries to follow Jesus and continuing to share the gospel no matter the cost. He left a wife and four children behind and one of his sons said, Our father was a courageous man and he was never afraid to die for Jesus. He has put the same zeal in us. Our family will continue to serve God. Our family, Joss, will continue to serve God? I don't know what it's like to be weary in the way that Marcy's family must be weary. How exhausted would they be emotionally after the loss of their dad? But to have that as their response, to have that kind of tenacity to continue serving the Lord, that is someone who in their pain and loss and weariness is focused on eternity. Imagine what it would look like for us to be focused on the eternal things of God that could be coming out of our season of life right now. Just this year, we received a report from our local partners in India saying that despite the hardships of COVID-19, God has been using the pandemic to bring revival to his church in India. They've seen that when we deliver emergency relief, they're able to reach out to the vulnerable in their community and share the gospel. And being able to broadcast their church services online means they're experiencing unprecedented growth. One local pastor said to us, I believe the church has been ushered into a new age of growth and engagement with each other and with the world around us. We are witnessing a huge turning towards God. Wow, that's such an amazing perspective. And I I think, you know, you would probably be the same in that 
we've met with different persecuted believers who have, you know, kind of all said similar things around Jesus is my reward and heaven is my goal. And I think, wow, that is such an eternal perspective for the life that we have right now. And one that, to be honest, I don't share with them. I don't wake Mm. up every day longing for eternity or with this real kind of like just absolute hope in what is to come. I can be so kind of caught up in our circumstances and even just what the next year looks like, what the next five years look like, but I never quite lift my eyes or lift them long enough to really dwell on the idea of eternity with God. Yeah, one of the most confronting questions I've ever been asked by one of the, a persecuted believer was from the Middle East, and they said to me, Mike, the challenge with you is you live as though Jesus Christ isn't coming back in your lifetime. And, you know, I've got a sneaking suspicion, Josh, that for people here, because ultimately that that's an eternal-focused question. Yeah. It's a focus or a question, sorry, on a life to come, saying, you know what, do you live as though the hope of heaven is your reward? More than that, saying, hey, look, Before you die, Jesus could come back. In fact, the persecuted church, it's the thing that blows my mind, is they wake up and they live every day as though Jesus were coming back. And for them, it changes everything. But when I sort of compare myself in that sense, to be honest, no, I don't live as though Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. Yeah, Not at all. I think about it and you read scriptures, even in 1 Thessalonians, it paints a beautiful picture of Christ's return. But do I ever think that it could happen in my lifetime? Well, no. It's, it's some kind of ethereal thing somewhere in the future that might happen sometime. Yeah. And and it's a, it's a weird and probably vulnerable thing to say, but when you, you marry it with the, the idea of, of being wearisome and having an eternal perspective, an eternal hope, it is such a powerful question and asking yourself, well, what would change? If you were living as though Jesus were coming back in the next 10 days, what would change in your life, Joss? And I think for some of us, it would go all about salvation, ensuring we were saved. You know, oh, I don't want to say yeah. the wrong thing. I don't want to lie. I don't want to cheat. I don't want to like, so you go, I oh, mean, I've got 10 days. I've got to be good. Got to be good. Jesus is coming back. Or you go the other way and go all about community saying, man, you got to know Jesus is coming back quick. Give your life to him now. But isn't it funny that if we put a 10 day time frame on it, everything would change. Whereas I meet with a persecuted church and I see these people who, if they knew Jesus were coming back in 10 days, to be honest, not much would change. Because yeah. they're evangelizing every day. They're sharing the gospel every day. They're pushing into Jesus every day. They've got an eternal hope every day. They may be tired and weary, but their hope is not in the energy of this world. It's in the, the reward and the future of heaven. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, for sure. I find that so you know, challenging and convicting, but also as an encouragement of just what does it look like for my perspective to shift in that way and for me to start to become more focused on eternity. I think one of the other things that we're learning at the moment, Mike, is that a weary soul you know, has this ability to develop empathy, which is so required to build up others in this season and to also build up the church. We know the church is not a building and it's the body of believers. And when we experience hardship, when we know what it's like to to feel lonely or isolated or exhausted or like we've really hit rock bottom in a strange but beautiful way it actually enables us to connect with people and to empathize with people that we might not ever have thought we'd had anything in common with before i've heard that empathy isn't necessarily about having the same shared experience as someone it's more about having the same shared emotion i may not have lost my job during this time but i can say to someone i know what it is like to feel anxious and to feel like you are not in control so we can relate when it comes to that kind of emotion and i love how pastor dave dunham writes in a tired soul allows us to sympathize with one another to cry with one another a tired soul understands the person's hurt and doesn't question the enduring sorrow a tired soul never expects someone just to get over their loss 
It never assumes that someone's theology is bad because they're grieving or aching. And a tired soul is tired for a reason, because it has been through heartbreak too. It understands. And it reminds me of the way that Jesus is often referred to as a man of sorrows. In Isaiah 53 verse 3 in the ESV translation, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And in the NIV, it also describes Jesus as a man of suffering, familiar with pain, which I don't know about you, but it makes me feel a lot more comforted that whatever I am walking through right now, Jesus actually understands. He's not unfamiliar with sorrow or suffering. And in fact, his life was marked by it, as were the lives of his disciples who were all but one martyred for their faith. I don't know if many of you recall the Easter bombings that took place in Sri Lanka last year, but suicide bombers attacked three churches as they gathered for their Easter worship services and hundreds of people died in those bombings. At one of those churches, Zion Church, many of the casualties were children. And the first weekend after the attack, the pastor of Zion Church got up and preached on Daniel 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who were thrown into the fire for their faith. He said, When Daniel's three friends were thrown into the furnace, when thrown into the fire, they did not get burned. Instead, a fourth man appeared and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego emerged from the flames unscathed. Why do we have to walk through this fire? At this point, we may not know why, but God is in the fire with us. God is with us in our suffering. He walks with us and cries with us. He is the fourth man. Jesus understands our pain because he has walked through suffering himself. And I think it is a hard lesson, but it's a beautiful lesson for us to learn that a weary soul is one that can develop empathy. And from that empathy, we can build others up. We say it often on this podcast that suffering, it's not so much a betrayal of the gospel, but it's the essence of the gospel. Yeah. And I think the more, you know, 39 years of age, all the wisdom I've got, <laughs> the thing that I'm learning year on year on year is that suffering truly isn't a betrayal of the gospel. In fact, it's such a part of the Christian walk. Yeah. But in the middle of that, our hope, it lies in that that future perspective of God. Yeah. And I think that too often over the years of my life, I've misequated proximity to God with not just all things going well, but me feeling good. Yeah, totally. Right? And so it's in those moments when I am exhausted, I am weary, I am tired, I am uh, anxious or worried or stressed, that there's this really unhealthy link to my sort of spiritual connectedness to God. Yeah. And, and I'd imagine that a lot of our listeners feel the same way too. But again, learning from the persecuted church is almost spiritual mentors. Their relationship with God, Joss, is not just emotionally driven. No. And, you know, to be honest, and I'm not sure this will make it into the final cut of the podcast, our producer will have to figure this out. But when I, when I look at the, the way the church is coming back together now, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm stunned at the way that we're going to churches and again, this is only my viewpoint, so I really want to be clear about that. But <laughs> the, the notion of the role musical worship is playing in churches, it, it seems you sit there now, you can't sing, but for some reason they still perform in front of you. And mm. and for me, there's this big kind of, again, it's almost like reaffirming the emotional link to God, yeah. right, through music. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, man, I'm a guitarist, I'm a worship leader. I, I'm a total person who loves this kind of stuff. But when I see... Um, you go to church and you sit there and people are just really performing and there's no element of worshipping together or even sitting there, to be honest, thinking, I'm I'm not thinking worshipful thoughts, I'm thinking, oh, they're just playing me a song and it's like I'm at a concert. (laughs) Right, yeah. It it only reaffirms my link between the emotional and spiritual 
And, and I think that's a really dangerous and unhealthy place to be. And to be honest, I think it's kind of what we're talking about in this podcast, which is when you're feeling weary, when you're feeling tired and hearing the pastor's letter that he wrote, well, you know what? The worst thing you can do is kind of blend the two emotions and connectedness to God together Yeah, because they're, they're not ever meant to be treated like that. And if that were the case, well, I'll tell you what, the persecuted church would be the most depressed group of people <laughs> on the planet so true. Yeah. because the cost of faith for them yeah. is immense. Yeah. But it's it, what even drives just their life forward. circumstances as well. Like, you know, if you compare our, you know, even just like socioeconomic to most people in the persecuted church, like that would be like, it's night and day Mm. between what our lives actually look like, even just on the surface level. So I think you're so right about that connection between emotion and whether it actually plays into how close you feel to God. Yes, right. And look, finally, I guess the third thing that we can learn is a weary soul is strengthened for the storms ahead. And Josh, this is such an important lesson for the church to learn right now, because I know 2020 is not going to be the hardest thing we've ever faced. It may not be the biggest trial in our lives. I know that's really hard to hear, but I want to explain that a little bit more. Well, this year I've been reading through the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, and one day it struck me, all those major life events that are commonly preached on, most of the things that happened to David, from being a shepherd boy and fighting off lions and bears to killing Goliath, then becoming Saul's armor bearer to eventually being hated and hunted down by Saul himself. He spends years on the run. His best friend, Jonathan, dies, and eventually he becomes God's chosen king over Israel. All of that happened before he was 30. Wow. Josh, you've got, what, six months? Yeah. (laughs) Six months. Quick, you've got a few things there to tick off the list. But I would be so tired if I was David. From the age of 30 until he ends his reign as king in his 70s, David endures even harder trials than the ones he's faced already. He had an affair with Bathsheba, they lose their son, then later on in life, one of David's other sons turns on him and tries to take the throne from him. His son is killed in battle and David is reprimanded for grieving and not being there for his soldiers. It's exhausting. But if David thought his trials were over when Saul died... He had another 40 years coming. Matthew 5 and verse 3 tells us in the message translation that we're blessed when we're at the end of our rope. With less of us, there is more of God. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Mike, I think that ties so perfectly back into our kind of first lesson of today of that eternal perspective, because you talk about how kind of tumultuous David's life was for the first 30 years. And then for 40 years after that, you know, it wasn't all roses after that point either. But I think when we do have our eyes set on heaven and our perspective set on eternity, it really does give us, I guess, that assurance that this is not it for us. This is, you know, what we're going through now is difficult, but God has got it and he will have every year to come. So whether 2021, you know, coronavirus is going to roll over into that year as well, but God has got it. And if we can, you know, be continually challenged to have an eternal perspective, to live as though Jesus is coming back in our lifetime and, you know, adopt, you know, different disciplines that would shape our days with that perspective, I truly do think that we will find value in our weary souls. And in a strange way, Mike, I feel like understanding that we have a weary soul is actually probably one of the best states we can be in right now because it reminds us to focus on eternity. It helps us to develop empathy and even like empathy for ourselves, a a gentler and more gracious expectation on what we need to be achieving right now and an empathy for others. 
And in our weakness, we can learn to be totally reliant on God who is all sufficient um, Mm. and he will be our strength in these trials and in the ones that we have to come. But that's all we have time for today in this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you're listening to our podcast, we would love for you to do that. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto and James Kazina. We hope the life-changing stories and lessons from the persecuted church help you follow Jesus no matter the cost. To find out more, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Bethany Ross, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.